Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. So get your Bible out and turn it again to me. Turn again with me to me. Turn to me and with me to Ephesians 6. And, and I got to just tell you, I, I wasn't, this wasn't going to be a part of the series. In fact, all the way even through last night, I'm sending my notes and changes and stuff to the production team. They're so, they're so gracious with me on Saturday night and getting the notes ready for live notes, which you'll want to get live notes this morning if you have the app or if you don't have the app, you want to download it. And their last question they asked me last night was, is this part of the series? And I said, no, but I just got to tell you, I think it is. <laughs> so so uh, if you had been here for our series, uh, we started at the beginning of January with the exception of last week, then... Um, um, this will kind of be a, a great way to bring it all together. Um, and speaking of last week, how great was last week with Pastor Karen Duncan Flanagan, our founder, bringing the word. <laughs> Powerful word. It's always great to hear from the founder where, where all this was birthed through, her and my dad, uh, so many years ago. This year will be 40 years. And so great word last week. And today I want to just kind of bring it all together, if you will. And we're going to look in Ephesians just for a second. There's one phrase in there I want to look at and just make sure we know what it means, because really it is our um, basis for the victory uh, that we can walk in today. And so I want to make sure that we are aware and equipped. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 14, let me read that for you. If you've been coming, um, then you, you'll, you'll be familiar with it. If not, then please go back and you can always go back to our archives and YouTube and listen to previous messages. You might want to do that. So finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. You may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, stand. Take a stand. 2021, we're taking a stand. Amen? And the, and the battle that we're fighting, we're fighting a spiritual battle. We just saw that in Ephesians 6 as Paul was encouraging the, the church in Ephesus. We are in a spiritual battle, so we have to fight it spiritually. It just makes sense. It's just what's happening, and we have to know that because we have to know how to stand against the enemy when he comes against us. Um, what, what I want to point out to you today is what we're standing in is the victory that Jesus has already won. We're not just trying to stand in our own power, own might. Yeah, stand against the devil. Yeah, take a defensive posture and, and do whatever you can to make sure that he doesn't move you. It's like, no, I'm not standing in what I've done. I'm not standing in what I could ever do. I'm standing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm standing in a victory purchased by his blood. Come on, somebody. When he went to the cross and he came up in resurrection power, I have to stand because the enemy is going to try and move me off the ground. Jesus already purchased. The devil cannot take back what Jesus purchased, so don't give it away. Stand. If you've done everything you can stand, stand. Don't give up. Don't quit because you win if you don't quit. So take your stand. So I think it's important when we're looking at spiritual warfare things today, and, and we talked uh, the last few weeks about all that. I, can't, I don't have time to review that. We understand that we are standing in a place of victory that's already been purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no greater foundation. There's no greater, greater victory that can be won than what Jesus bought with his blood. And so we, we fight from a place of victory, not fight for a place of victory. And so I just want to encourage you in that. That's kind of where I want to go today. In fact, I want you to turn to Psalms 23 for me. 
Psalms 23. I want to let you guys know that today we are going to take communion for those that are here. We have it for you for your home. I want to encourage you that, uh, to grab some communion elements. You don't have to have grape juice and crackers. Really, it's symbolic. We'll talk about that, in fact, today because that is the essence. That is what gives us the victory is really the work that Jesus did on and surrounding the cross and then coming out in resurrection power. But Psalms 23 is an interesting passage of scripture. If you don't have this Memorize. Everybody needs to memorize it. I don't have all of it in its entirety in the proper order, but I think it's so important for us to have. Should be on your refrigerator. Should be a magnet somewhere. Should be something that you have and you can pull out at any time. It is a great psalm and it's so encouraging. But here's what it says in verse four. It's only six scriptures for the whole psalm 23. But let me start in verse four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will not fear the evil day. Going back to Ephesians 6.10. I will not fear the evil day for... You are with me. You never leave me or forsake me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Could we hold on to verse 5 for a second? It's interesting because I don't know what kind of picture you get in your mind when you say, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. There's a lot of things there, literally, whatever that looks like. We're going to talk about that today. And then he goes on to say, you anoint my head with oil. What that's referring to in Old Testament and somewhat New Testament language is anointing, meaning healing. So listen to the wording here. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemy. We're going to talk about the Lord's table today or communion because that I believe is a reference to that. And you anoint my head with oil is a reference to healing. Understand what the communion table brings to you and I is not just a salvation experience through the blood of Jesus, but a healing or covenant of healing because the broken body of Jesus. So even right here in Psalms 23, one of the most encouraging Psalms you could ever read, the most inspiring ones if you want, he's talking about the Lord's table and he's also talking about healing. In fact, when you look at scripture, and you see things talking about salvation, you'll almost always, not always, you'll almost always see the cross being referred, not just a salvation component, but a healing component. Rarely are they separated. Now, for some reason here on the planet, we tend to separate those. And even when we're taking communion, a lot of times we picture it more as a salvation experience and we miss the other things that Jesus died for. Now, that's important to know because when you're in a battle and your battle may be physical, you need to know the victory that's already been won for you, what Jesus did on the cross. And so going back to Ephesians 6, so stand firm. We stand firm. We get a bad report. We stand firm in what Jesus already has done. So I think this morning it's important for us to go and look at what are we standing firm on? So, But let me finish out that scripture. Uh, you anoint my head with oil, referring to healing. My cup runs over. Verse 6 says this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Amen. Now, just this passage right here is already giving us a picture of what is going to happen. We can look back now and see, but it's so significant what happened, what Jesus did on the cross. I think sometimes we miss some of the other elements of it that are ours as much as salvation is. And when I think of Ephesians 6.10, when I think about fighting a spiritual battle in the evil day from that place that we stand firm in, you need to know what you're standing on. You need to know what you're standing firm in. Well, what does that mean? What did Jesus do for us? And I know there's a lot of things that we'll say like, well, he saved me. I'm going to heaven. But you know what? What the cross was for, not just for your salvation, it was for your life on earth as well. Because I don't know when God takes me to heaven, when I go into heaven, he comes and gets us, whatever that looks like. I don't know when that's going to be, but I still hope I believe I got a lot of earth to still live out and my place of victory. I don't need to stand firm in heaven. There's not a battle to be fought in heaven. 
I got to stand firm on the planet. And as part of what Jesus did on the cross was to give us the ability to stand firm when the evil day comes against you on the planet. So I think it's important for us to look at that this morning. And I don't ever want communion to be routine or or just a ritual or or traditional. And maybe some of the things we'll talk about today will help you explain why we do what we do. Um, Other people know whatever they do, they do. I believe that's between them and the Lord. I just want to let you know where we come from on all this. And so uh, what to do in an evil day? We need to stand firm and what Jesus already won for you and I. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 31 is really our communion story, if you will, or what we see in the scripture when we're talking about communion. The Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, however you want to say that. Let me read this for you. We'll talk about it. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Jesus gathered all his disciples in Jerusalem just a few days before he was crucified. It was Passover time, which is significant. And he began to sit down. And really, why they were in Jerusalem is because of Passover. And Passover, let me tell you about Passover real quick and finish this passage out. Passover was uh, back in the day when the children of Israel had been in slavery and bondage for 400 years to Egypt. God sent a deliverer, Moses, on his behalf to deliver his people out of slavery and bondage. And so they had a Passover meal at the very end of their time. It was right in conjunction with the final plague and where the Passover literally means that they had a spotless lamb a lamb that had nothing wrong with that, had, had no infirmities or blemishes. That lamb they slaughtered. They painted the lamb's blood on the doorpost, if you would, symbolically as a cross. That's what we associate it with. Over the doorposts. They had a lot of things associated with it. I've taught on it before. I will another time. Uh, the Passover meal and all the things that happened. But what would happen that night is when the death angel came through the land, he would see that family was covered in the blood of the sacrificial lamb, and he would pass over. Death would pass over. A freedom and deliverance came. A death passed over them. I think it's important for us to realize where communion comes from. It is a remembrance, a celebration of deliverance and freedom, not only from bondage, but from death. Amen? Now, what's interesting when you look at the uh, Passover story and you look at the, the children of Israel being freed from bondage and sin, the Bible says, I don't have time today to go there, but the Bible says that when the children of Israel, after the Passover happened, after the shed blood of the innocent lamb and they were all freed, and said all the children of Israel, whose scholars would say could number over two million, left the land of Egypt, bondage and slavery, and there was not one sick or feeble among them. Interesting. Again, that's a picture, right? It's a picture of what we just read in Psalms, and it'll be a picture of what we're reading now. God's intent. The victory was not just for your freedom. It was for your healing. Come on, somebody. Not one person. They're partaking of the Passover meal, which should represent and reflect the freedom from bondage and slavery, but also not one was sick or feeble among over two million. That is a huge miracle right there. You can't find a room full of 20 and not find one sick or feeble, right? I mean, not trying to joke, it's hard to find a family. Something's not going. Every single one of them. So I want you to see that. We fight from, from a place of victory through the work of Jesus Christ. Oh, I've got to finish this story. Okay, here we go. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, the bread, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. 
Um, notice he said, as often as you do in remembrance of me. Can I just say for a moment, tree of life, we take the Bible to be true. So when it says, as often as you do it, we don't see anywhere where it says the first Sunday of every month or every week. And if other people do that, that's okay. But for them to say that their way is the way, kind of got a problem with that. Because if we're following the Bible way, then we're going to do it at Passover once a year, right? Because that's the Bible way. So, but here's what I want you to know. It doesn't matter how often you do it. When you do it, remember what it represents. So we believe, and we believe that, honestly, I'm going to say it to everybody at home today. It doesn't matter if you're in the building today or in this house, he's in your house. So you take communion wherever you are. I don't want to tell you this, my, my dad had someone, I don't know who gave it to him, but someone, and actually I have it now, but someone gave him a personal communion set. I, my dad took communion, I think, every day. I remember seeing him taking it every day. Now that's, that's his deal, right? I mean, so we all have to do what, what we feel God's leading us to do. And at the end of this message, I believe you'll see the value and importance of it, doing it more than just the first Sunday of the month or every week or, or and you don't have to go to church to do it. In fact, my hope is you realize you can do it whenever and wherever you need slash want to. In fact, we need to be doing it a whole lot more than we do do it. And we just can't let it be a tradition or ritual for the power to really be alive in our heart and life of what it really represents for you to be able to stand. We're not standing on a tradition of man. We're not standing on a ritual of the church. We're standing on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so some of us need to be taking it in that day where I got a big meeting today. This is a really important meeting. You know what? Before I leave the house this morning, I'm just going to spend a moment and take communion. You know what? I'm just not feeling my best. I, got, I went to the doctor and got a negative report. You know what? Before we go any farther, talk to anybody else, start blowing up our phone with prayer requests and send it, put on social media for everybody to pray for me. I'm going to take a moment and do communion. And that's what I hope comes alive in you today through the point of this message, to standing firm in that place, the victory that's been won. The power of the table is the power of the cross. So stand firm. It's already done, already paid for. We need to understand that. um, Did I finish it? No, let me finish. For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Why he came to do what he did. You're remembering that. You're walking in that. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body of the blood of the Lord. What I, what I feel that means right there is you're not going to walk in what he intended for you to walk in. If you don't really understand it, you're not going to walk in the purpose and power of it. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. It's not going to help you just to take it. Oh, they're passing the plate today. I'm going to take this communion stuff. No, that's not what it's going to release the power, what it's intended or purpose in your life. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you because they don't understand and many sleep for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. We wouldn't experience what we experience if we understood what it really is. In fact, if we could go back a couple of weeks, if you remember, I taught about the sword of the spirit being the word of God and the differences in the word of God, graphe. Some people just take it as graphe, but you need logos, which means you need to understand the message, understand the message behind it. Because we're not to take communion just as graphe, because it's just what we do, because it's written on these pages. We need to understand it, and that logos and comes alive in our life, and then it becomes activated, and then we receive it, and we speak it out. We'll talk about that today. Then the power is released, and I want us to look at this completely different. So the message of the cross is not just salvation. It's the power of God. It's the power of God, the power of God to live life in victory, not just to get you to heaven, but to walk in victory on the earth. So we remember the source of our salvation, which is the same source of our victory on the earth. The Lord's table is a reminder for you and I 
and all the activity around it, everything Jesus went through, he fought and paid for a victory so we could just stand firm in it. Revelation 12, 10 through 11 says this. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Listen to this. Salvation and power and the kingdom of God, our God, and the authority of his Christ, Christ the Messiah, for the accuser, or Christ the anointed one, for the accuser, the devil of our brothers and sisters, has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him, spiritual battle. The enemy has been defeated by the blood of the lamb, the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago, and by their testimony. So we fight from a place of victory of what Jesus did. He defeated. We win by the blood of the lamb. Come on, somebody. So we stand firm on the evil day. And not only does it mean the cross got us one for us salvation in heaven one day, but did you read power and authority? You don't need power and authority in heaven. You need power and authority on the planet. Amen. And it was won by the blood of the lamb. I, I actually skipped, if you're in your live notes, I skipped one. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the victory won that overcame death, hell, and the grave. It is won for you and I, and we need to stand firm in that place. Stand firm, because the cross releases power and authority. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy and anoint my head with oil. I love that picture. I love that idea. So, not only did the cross purchase our salvation, but power and authority. And that's why I love the song, There is Power I'm not going to sing it. Power. Wonder-working power. Come on, you can sing it if you want, if you're brave enough. In the blood of the Lamb. Amen? There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Not just to save you, but so you can walk in victory. Amen? It's the message of the cross. It's what Jesus did when he went there. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. I've got a couple more things to get to you, uh, get out to you this morning. So Jesus, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper here, which is interesting to me when you read that story there in the Corinthians, it's Jesus and his disciples. Now, it's the Passover meal, but one thing was missing from the Passover meal. And so they're, they're partaking of bread and they're partaking of the, the wine, and Jesus is instituting uh, a different supper now. But what was missing on the table was the lamb because the Passover meal you had to sacrifice a spotless lamb. You had to cook it a certain way. You had to eat it at a certain time. So here's what I think is amazing to me, because Jesus was not yet sacrificed as the spotless lamb, but he would be. So the lamb is missing on the table, but he's at your table. Come on. That is good. Thank you. I was gonna have to, I'm glad I have to say it myself. Thank you. Come on. Come on. Think about that for a second. When we partake of communion... We're partaking of the broken body of Jesus, his shed blood. We're not partaking of, uh, in a sense, that the lamb's not on the table. He's at your table. He's with you. The lamb was with you, never to leave you or forsake you, the spotless lamb, and all his power and authority. I love that picture. And that's what we partake of today. Come on, you ready to take communion? No, we got to wait. Not yet. We're going to wait till the end. I'm ready right now. I think I should have already taken it a couple times, but I'm excited because I think when you understand really this, come on, we want to talk about being on the offensive against the enemy, getting tired of the devil pushing you around, well, take communion. But you got to know what it means. 
You're getting tired of seeming like you're losing all the time? Well, take communion and be reminded of the victory that's been won in Jesus Christ. So you just stand in that place. We're going to do that. Hold on. Okay, don't reach down and get that little cup out of the seat and open it up. If you're at home, hold on. At home, we wouldn't even know if you took it, but wait for us. You know, when Jesus went and bore all this on his body, and we'll talk about that in a second, they were all for a reason. Jesus went to the garden. Uh, we see this moment, he's, he's having dinner, and at some point in time during dinner, Judas slips out. So Judas, we know, betrayed Jesus. He slips out to betray Jesus. He goes and he gets the people that were going to come and take him. Jesus and the rest of the disciples, they go to the garden. Jesus finds himself there in prayer, and then he is uh, betrayed by Judas. And so he is taken. He is illegally tried. In fact, he was tried six times, which is illegal in Jewish and in Roman law to try anybody at night. They accused him of some things they could not find wrong. That's why they had to keep trying him. Let's find another thing. Bring another accusation. Let's try him on this one. The only thing they could find fault in Jesus because he was sinless was that he was the lamb. Of, of, he was the son of God. They, they accused him for being the son of God. And he's like, I didn't say that, but you said that. That's the only thing they could find accusation against Jesus. He was the son of God. So they gave him a death sentence. And so they sent him on the process that we're going to talk about today on this path he was executed by crucifixion. Now understand this. This is interesting to me. Crucifixion was the most brutal way of death known to man. I mean, it had been invented by the Assyrians, people believe, and the Romans perfected it. It was absolutely horrible, torturous death. The most brutal form of death there could be was crucifixion. I'm thinking about this for a second. So Jesus, God sent him on the earth to pay for mankind's sin. God sent him at a particular time for a particular reason. There's a lot of reasons why we could think Jesus came, but you know one of the reasons why I think God chose the time? Because the way of death was as brutal as it has ever been. Because Jesus had to experience everything we've experienced. God was so intent and determined to get you victory, Jesus had to win everything. So he had to feel and experience everything. He had to feel and experience the most brutal form of death so we can overcome and stand in absolute victory over it. Nothing was left that he did not defeat with his death. In fact, let's just say it this way, and I don't mean to belittle anything today. It's all very, very difficult for sure. But if Jesus was to come today and they were sentenced him to death, he'd be sentenced basically to lethal injection. And, and whatever your stance is and on that, that's not the point this morning. Don't hear that in there. It's all very difficult for sure. But he came at a day that they just brutalized him. And I don't want to be graphic. And I was like, well, this isn't Easter. I don't want to be graphic with all that. But I want to understand where we stand, what we stand firm on. So God chose to send Jesus at this particular time because it wasn't just about, it wasn't just about his death. It was about how he died. And I think sometimes we just think about his death and the purchase of salvation, but how he died gave us the victory over things to stand in today. And that was his intent, his intentional suffering of what he went through for you and I, so we could have victory on the time we're on the earth. So he intentionally came so he could experience things that we would experience to give us victory in all of it. So he went through the very difficult things. In fact, it was his broken body and his shed blood. That we stand in a place of victory because 800 years ago, in fact, over 800 years before Jesus, 800 years before this happened, a couple things happened. Number one, Tom Brady played in his first Super Bowl. <laughs> no, just okay. All right, I got my Chiefs shirt on. Just remember, I'm channeling Chiefs. And 800 years before this, uh, the prophet Isaiah prophesied what would happen. 
He talked about Jesus and what, what would happen to Jesus or the sacrifice. This is what he would go through. And there's four things in what he saw that represented the Lord's table. And so let's take a look. Isaiah 53. I may have said Isaiah 55, but Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced. Listen to the wording. He, the sacrificial lamb, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, another translation says by his stripes. We'll get there in a minute. We are healed. Look at what he said. He was pierced. He was crushed. He was punished. And he was wounded for you and I. He had to experience all this going to the cross so we could overcome all this. Come on, somebody. So we could stand firm in victory from these things. He didn't just come to die so we could go to heaven one day. He came to be pierced, crushed, wounded for you and I so we could walk in victory over those things. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning. Let's look at them. We're not going to look at them how they were listed there. We're going to look at those things in the order they happened to Jesus. So the first step for Jesus was he was whipped, scourged, it says, whipping, cat of nine tails, the kind of whip they used, had, had nine leather strands on it. And to that, they would tie metal, they would tie rocks, and, and they would tie bone and sharp things on there. And they would soak it in water so it got real heavy. In fact, a soldier had to use two hands to swing it because it was so heavy because it was meant to inflict great damage on the body, great damage, not just whip him but damage his body physically. And he took 39 stripes because they realized that any more than 39, most people didn't survive more than 39 and they wanted people to survive the punishment. That was the point, this punishment. And so they gave him 13 stripes across one shoulder muscle, 13 in the other shoulder muscle and 13 on the back because those were important things for him to use while he was on the cross because the death of the cross was suffocation and they would crucify him a certain way. We'll talk about in a moment where he couldn't get up and get his breath anymore. So if they tear all the muscles in the shoulder, they're not able to get that kind of leverage they need to prolong their life. And so there was intentionality in Jesus coming and taking the brutality of the stripes on him, which Isaiah tells us that it's in the stripes through the whip where freedom was bought in our body. Come on, somebody. It's through that right there that freedom was purchased for my body. Jesus won that, so stand firm. Stand firm in that place. Jesus paid the price for it. By his stripes, we are healed. Every stripe was for some sickness or disease. Nothing was left out. He covered it all. So stand firm in what he paid for. Stand firm in what he paid for, not just so your sin's forgiven, but so your body can be healed. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, New King James who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, crucifixion, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Past tense, it's been purchased. So stand firm, and when Jesus already paid for you, when the evil day comes, whatever that looks like for you, stand firm. Stand firm in what Jesus already bought and paid for. Why doesn't he heal everybody? I have no idea. I'm not God. But I pray for everybody to be healed. I pray, for, I pray for people to be healed, and then weeks later, I've done their funeral. I don't understand it, but I'm not going to quit praying for people for healing because of this right here. I'll let God figure all that out, but here's what I do know. Either we're healed on the planet or we're in total healing in heaven. At some point in time, we're completely healed. That's what I do know. So I don't have any problem. I don't care what it is. I have no, I'm not the healer. I didn't purchase that. So I have no problem paying, praying for people and believing for God's healing my own life. I'm going to stand firm. If I stand firm until I'm standing before him, I'm okay with that. But I'm going to stand firm because one day, whether here on earth or in heaven, I'm going to be completely healed. 
Jesus paid a high price, so stand firm. And Jesus was taken to a place where the guards mocked him. They blindfolded him after the whipping, the scourging. They slapped him. They hit him in the face. They said, if you are who you say you are, the son of God, prophesy who hit you. He could have done that. He could have resisted, but he was a lamb going to the slaughter. The Bible says he did not resist. They put a robe on him because he was called king of the Jews. And then so on, all the while, someone's weaving a crown of thorns. And the next thing they did was they put a crown with two inch thorns on his head and pressed it down and beat it down on his head. Isaiah saw it and he said, that punishment, the punishment brought us peace. Where's the place that we struggle the most for you and I for peace? It's in our mind. I just want some peace of mind. I don't know, my mind's racing 100 miles an hour. I want to lay in bed at night and just have some peace of mind. I want to get up in the day and go around in my activities and something. I just want peace of mind. We struggle for peace in our mind. Does not make sense. And as that crown was put upon his head and it covered his head, there was pain on the outside. But I believe it was also taking care of the pain on the inside. He took a crown of thorns on his head so you could have peace of mind. And oh, it's not, not a day that we live peace of mind. I'm talking about today of all days where mental health and, and depression is just running rampant today. And you see the results of it. Fear, anxiety, worry, lack of peace. Jesus bought and purchased it. So stand firm for your peace of mind. Stand firm for what he purchased with a crown of thorns on his head. I mean, thank God we're going to heaven one day. But while you're on the earth, you have the power and authority to stand firm, to have some peace of mind. And oh, could we use some peace of mind, peace of mind. I mean, I've experienced it. I know what it's like to have depression. I've experienced it. I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to say that. I know it's like to have panic attacks. I told many times, I sat here on the front row several years ago, just panic attacks. I'd have to go out the side door, go down the steps right there and throw, throw up out there. One time I almost didn't come back, but my wife found me. She's got an app on her phone, that Life360, right? <laughs> I know what those things are like. But Jesus took a crown of thorns upon his head so you and I could have peace of mind. So we stand firm in that place. We stand firm when the enemy comes to the evil day and tries to bring depression, tries to bring fear, tries to bring anxiety and worry and stress. We push back, of course, we'll talk about it at the end. We push back with the weapon of our warfare, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, to stand firm in the victory. Jesus is one for peace of mind. So the thorns represent freedom in my mind. Freedom in my mind. Isaiah said the punishment brought us peace. He took a crown on his head, his mind, his punishment, so we could have peace of mind, victory over the things that would try and attack our mind. So stand firm in the victory that Jesus won. He knew some of our greatest battles would be fought, won or lost in our mind, the battlefield of the mind. So he didn't come today to get lethal injection. That's a terrible, terrible thing. But he came in a day where they put a crown of thorns on his mind so he could experience the pain so you wouldn't have to. He knew he needed to experience that aspect so that he could purchase it, defeat it, so you and I could walk free from it. So stand firm. Stand firm. John 14, 27 says this. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. It's not based on circumstances and what happens around the world. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I won that for you. I give you my peace, peace that comes from me, that's not determined or decided based on circumstances roundabout that you're experiencing and what you're going through. So stand firm. Isaiah 26.3 says this, 
You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Stand firm. Keep your mind on him. Trust him with it all. He took a crown of thorns upon his head so you could have peace of mind. And understand, he prepares a table in the face of the enemies. He prepares a table in the face of the enemies of your mind. So stand firm. Then they had him carry the cross to where he would be crucified and nailed his hands and his feet. We know the story. They nailed him to the cross, a painful death. Let me just tell you something real quick where they nailed him. They didn't nail him through his hands. They nailed him right at his wrist. Back in the Roman days, a hand was considered the elbow to the tip of the finger. That's why you see back in that day, which is like a cool handshake today or whatever, that when they would shake hands, they would grab like forearms like that because it was all considered the hand. But if he got crucified in the hands, it wouldn't be enough to support his weight. It would tear. So they would stay on there longer if they got him right there in the wrist. The structure there and everything would hold the person up longer. So he took nails on his wrists, if you will, and his feet. I love this picture. They nailed his hands and his feet to the cross, a painful death. Now remember, they cut his shoulders with the scourging, the whipping. When I think of the hands and the feet, I believe it represents, we'll talk about it in just a moment as I define a term, it represents what you'll ever do, where you'll ever go. The things that you do that you shouldn't do, He took nails for that. The places you go that your feet take you that they should never take you and you should never go. He took nails for that. I mean, all the things that we experience in life, the things that we do that we know we shouldn't and we understand there's guilt and shame. I never should have done that. Why did I do it? Why did I go there? I never should have been there. I shouldn't have done that. You know, Jesus took nails in his hands and his feet to cover anything you would ever do and you shouldn't do and anywhere you would ever go that you should never go. Why? Because he didn't want you to feel the guilt and shame of that. So he took it on the cross. So stand firm in what he did on the cross so you don't have to carry guilt and shame from what you've ever done or where you've ever been. He covered that. So when the enemy comes in the evil day and tries to bombard you and attack you with guilt and shame, stand firm in what Jesus did as he took nails in his hands and his feet, covering where you ever would have gone and what you ever would have done so guilt and shame is not yours to carry. He bore it. So stand firm because of what Jesus did. Stand firm. It says that he did, that his transgressions, he was pierced for your transgressions. Transgressions means an act that goes against a law, rule, or a code of conduct. It's an offense. It's something going against a value, an ethic, or morality. That's a transgression. Anything you have ever done that violates that or anywhere you have ever gone, Jesus paid for anything you would ever do and anywhere you would ever go. Your transgressions have been paid for. So stand firm. Hebrews 8, 12 says this. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Come on, somebody. He forgives anything you've ever done and anywhere you've ever been, and he forgets it. The problem is you and I don't. The problem is you and I don't. And so the enemy tries to bring that back up. Was he trying to bring back guilt and shame up on your life to keep you from doing what God wants you to do? But look at what it says in Hebrews 9, 12, or 14 rather, NLT. With his own blood, not the blood of goats or calves, but with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. 
He took care of all of that. Jesus took care of all that forever. Your guilt, your shame has been paid for because he was pierced for your transgressions. And love that picture right there. And then finally, at the ninth hour, Jesus breathes his last breath, three o'clock in the afternoon. When that happens through a crucifixion, Roman soldiers are to come and take a spear and they thrust it in the side up through the rib cage into the heart to make sure that the person is dead. They must have been surprised because people usually last longer. In fact, they want it to be so terrible that they experience the pain of it for a long time. But after six hours, Jesus breathed his last breath. And a Roman soldier came to make sure with a spear like they do, like tradition says. And the Bible says out of Jesus' side flowed blood and water. And medical science will tell you that that shows his heart had already ruptured. That's the sign of a ruptured heart, blood and water. And so when they pierced his side and blood and water already came out, his heart was already ruptured. Did Jesus die of suffocation? No. Did Jesus die of pain? No. What did Jesus die of? Blood loss? No. He died of a broken heart. A ruptured heart. Because he had to feel the pain of what a broken heart must feel like. I don't know about you, but I've had my heart broken. I felt the pain. Jesus wanted to experience everything we would ever experience so we could stand firm in a place of victory. So he was crushed. He wasn't crushed physically when it says he was crushed. He wasn't crushed physically. He was crushed in spirit. And his heart was already broken and ruptured when he breathed his last breath so he could experience everything you and I would ever experience so we could stand firm in the evil day. When we feel like our heart is broken and there's nothing that we can do, when we feel crushed and overwhelmed in our spirit, we need to stand firm in the victory that Jesus already bought for you and I, what he paid for for you and I. Stand firm. When you've done all you can stand, keep standing because he is the healer of the broken heart. He's already paid for that. It's who he is and what he does. Isaiah says he was crushed. Crushing spirit. Proverbs says a cheerful heart does good like a medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. He had to have an experience of broken heart so he would know what that feel like so he could take all that so you can walk in freedom and victory. I don't know how many of us in here and probably all of us have had a broken heart in some way, a crushed spirit, maybe because of a divorce, maybe a betrayal, maybe the death or loss of someone, maybe a wayward child, a failed business, broken dreams. He knew you'd go through that, so he had to experience it and pay for it. Psalms 147.3 says this. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He prepares a table for me in the presence of the enemy of my broken heart and my crushed spirit. Stand firm. The spear represents freedom in my heart. He gives you healing in your body. He gives you peace in your mind. He gives you freedom from guilt and shame, and he gives you healing for a broken heart. All that, all that, listen, all that at the Lord's table. Every time we partake of the Lord's table, all that is in play. All that has been bought and purchased and paid for by his life, his blood for you. Victory. For you to stand and all that, not just celebrating your salvation, which that is good enough in and of itself, but no, he wanted to do more than that because he knew in your evil day you would need something to stand on. Something to stand on. Stand firm. 
So may I suggest to you that as a part of 2021, you, your family, your house, take communion when you need healing. Take communion when you need peace. Take communion when you need to walk free from guilt and shame. Do you take communion when your heart's been broken, when your spirit has been crushed, and you need to get your joy back? Take communion. Stand firm. Stand firm. So this morning, here at home, here, wherever you are, it does not matter. Whenever you do it, it does not matter. And we all should do it more than we do. But let's never do it without remembering what it truly means so we can walk in what he bought and paid for. And in your evil day, stand firm in the victory won by Jesus. Don't give up ground. Keep standing. Here's what I like. Here's what I want to say with this in relation to what we've already talked about. When you find yourself in need of healing or peace or you're experiencing guilt and shame or you're crushed in spirit or broken heart, I would say to you, you take a moment and you get whatever you got in your house. Get out some Doritos and Big Red. I think Cody says that. Get out a Dorito and Big Red. It does not matter what they are, what they represent. And then when you get ready to receive communion and you're getting ready to partake of the bread, here's what you do. You get out your graffe and then you find a scripture in the graffe on healing and you read it by his stripes. I have been healed. And you read it till it comes logos in your body and it rises up in you. And then you, before you take, and then you partake of the bread and then you remind the devil that by his stripes, I have been healed devil. I'm healed and whole through the broken body of Jesus Christ. Not only do you take communion, but you get out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you serve notice on the devil. He's trying to push you off that place that Jesus won for you. And he's let him know what the word says. That victory is yours. We serve a good and faithful God. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.